The following resource is by CBC Mokopani. For more resources like this, check out our website at www.christbaptistmokopani.com. Good morning, church. Um, it's a privilege to be here with you once again this morning and to even have Lucas with us here. Uh, it's been a pleasure just being with you last week and even this week, uh, fellowshipping with you and getting to know also a few people um, that I, ha I hadn't seen the last time I was here. So it's just great to fellowship with you here once again. I'm, I'm privileged and thank you for the opportunity. I bring you greetings as well from your sister church in Polokwane and the seminary as well. And we're just excited at what is happening here and uh, are, are very happy at such points where we can also be called upon to fellowship together and partner together um, like this. And we pray that this will continue to happen even more often, right? Uh, we won't have to wait for Lucas to have another baby first. <laughs> you can call me before, please do. Um, my love and greetings as well to, to you from my wife. She couldn't be here this time, but next time again we will plan to be together. So thank you. Now, last week we just introduced our series. We were looking at Fellowship in Christ, and specifically the sub-theme then was our common interest. So Fellowship in Christ, our common interest, and this week we'll continue with the same theme, Fellowship in Christ, but this time considering our spiritual gifts. So last week, Fellowship in Christ, our common interest, and you remember our common interest was Christ, right? So this week we're looking at still fellowship in Christ, but now through our spiritual gifts. Just like last week, I will be in various passages. I do not necessarily have a main text that I'll stick to, but I will mainly be in um, Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So just have 12 in your mind. Romans chapter 12, that's where we will start, and 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So even when you think spiritual gifts, think 12, and it's easier then to remember um, these passages. So fellowship in Christ, our spiritual gifts. As we get into it, um, first of all, I'd just like to commit our time in prayer once again. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for the privilege of coming here before you as we do this morning knowing full well that this would not be possible without your power and without your love. And as we gather here, we pray that more than anything, you will be magnified in our midst and that we will rejoice in this great salvation that we have in you, that brings us to you and also brings us together to one another. We do not discount the fact that Truly, you've called us to fellowship such that you would even command that we do not forsake the gathering of the saints, O oh Lord. And so as we gather and consider this theme of fellowship in you, and now specifically through the spiritual gifts, we pray that your word will enlighten us, O oh Lord, and that it will be an encouragement to us and to stir us up to good works, even as your word says, as we look forward to the great day when we will be with you forevermore. So we pray for your spirit to be with us, your wisdom, your strength as well, and that we will indeed be blessed, but also challenged by your word this morning. Amen. You would remember, if you are here last week, that we considered why 
this theme of fellowship is important to us. And we gave two reasons. The first reason was because of how God has created us, right? We looked at the idea that it is not good for man to be alone, and thereby, by implication, not good for anyone to be alone, man, woman, young or old, or the child as well, or, or an adult. It is not good for anyone to be alone. Meaning we are created for fellowship. We are created to be with each other. We need each other. And we saw as well how it is virtually impossible to define you or to describe you outside of other people. Because if you're a friend, it's because you're a friend to someone. If you're a husband, it's because you have a wife. If you're a wife, the opposite is true, it's because you have a husband. If you're a son, it's because you have a parent. And if you're a parent, it's because you have children. It is impossible to define you outside of other people. And that's why you even see with the greatest command, even as we explored last week, you need other people to fulfill it. Love God with all your being, yes, but love your neighbor as yourself. It is impossible to fulfill the greatest command without others. But then as well, we saw that it is important to consider this theme because we have corrupted how God created us, right? The greatest commandment, love God with all your being and love your neighbor as yourself. But then because fellowship was broken with God, when man sinned, Man did not love God, and thereby, by implication, there is no love for fellow man as one loves himself. Instead, we see division. And you remember we saw division such that it is not enough for man to break fellowship with fellow man, but to the extent of even committing murder. Cain and Abel, Genesis chapter 4. Immediately man sins, the next sin you're being introduced to is what? Murder. Fellowship is broken to such an extent that man kills fellow man. And because of sin, we saw as well that we are divided along various lines, right? It could be along family lines, along nationality, language, race, along our professional education, wealth, and other various lines. But then as well, as we saw last week, that there is a higher common interest that we share. As believers, there is a higher common interest, which is who? Christ. Christ is the higher common interest that we share, such that he transcends all other divisions. He transcends our family boundaries, our professions, our race, our nationalities, our languages. He transcends all that because then there is a higher interest, which is Christ, who brings us together. And even as you can see, as we saw last week, when you look around, we are from diverse backgrounds, different ages. We are different, but we have that common interest that is Christ, and it is because of him that we come together. Galatians 3.28, you remember the governing passage that we looked at. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all what? One in Christ. Our fellowship is governed by the common interest that we are one in Christ. As we consider our theme for today, last week we did not only see the greatest commandment, love God and love fellow man as yourself, but we also considered the new commandment, right? A new commandment I give you, John chapter 13, whereby Christ says, love 
one another as I have loved you. So love God, love your neighbors yourself with the new commandment, love one another as I have loved you, Christ. And this is truly the essence of our fellowship. The essence of our fellowship is love. Such that even though Christ gives us a new commandment, still the governing theme is love. Love God. Love your neighbors yourself. But new commandment, love each other as Christ has loved you. And as far as love is concerned, as the governing theme of our fellowship, we must consider that when it comes to the Bible, it is not an abstract concept. It is an action. It is something that you do. It is, an, it is a tangible expression of your attitude towards another person. This means then but that by your actions, I will know whether you love me or not. By your actions towards me, I will know whether you love me or not and whether we are in fellowship. Because we have to consider the tangibility of it. We cannot just say we have this common fellowship that we have in Christ and that he unites us and that we are to love one another as we love each other, as, as, I, love, as I love myself and that I should love you as Christ has loved me without exploring what it really means to love. Tangibly, what does it look like? And truly that is what we want to see here today, this practical expression of this particular love. And yes, scripture will reveal to us various ways, but in the interest of time, we will just explore one practical aspect. How then do we love each other? How do I love you as I love myself? How do I love you as Christ has loved me? And as we consider the scriptures, one of the ways of expressing love one to another, one of the ways of fellowshipping one to another, is through our spiritual gifts. It's through the exercise of our spiritual gifts in the church. And that's why we're exploring this particular theme, fellowship in Christ and specifically through our spiritual gifts. Romans chapter 12, first of all. I will read from verse 3. If you could turn there. Romans chapter 12 from verse 3. It says, For by the grace given to me, I say to Abraham among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, verse 5, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. You see, if you could just stop here and consider what the Apostle is saying, it's self-explanatory, right? Because of our union in Christ, we are one body, members of each other. And even as we saw last week, this is truly the essence, that we are one in Christ and equal as well. And today we see that even though we are equal, 
we are also different. Different specifically in our functions. Yes, we are all one, all equal, but also different. And specifically different in our functions. Members of one body, but then, as verse 4 says, we do not all have the same function. This is how you should think of it. It's like a team sport. When you consider any team sport, different individuals come together to form just one team. And in a team sport, they cannot all be alike. It's impossible. Why? Because first of all, you have different positions. Soccer, for example, you have the goalkeeper, you have the defenders, you have the midfielders, and then you have the strikers. So these are different people coming together, one team, one purpose, for the common goal of what? Winning. It is impossible that a soccer team would only be made up of goalkeepers. It is impossible. Or just strikers. It is impossible. They will not go anywhere. So they are all equal as players. They are all one because they are in one team, but they are different because of their functions in that particular team. And when they come together, when everyone is fulfilling their function, though different but in the same team, then they win because they come together for the common goal of winning and then they're all declared champions. And when they're being declared champions, they're declared champions equally. It's not as if they go to the striker and say, because you're the one who scored the goals, then you are exalted above the rest of the team because you scored. No. Because the goalkeeper can also say, well, I kept goals out in as well. <laughs> right? You may have scored, but I had to keep goals out for us to win. Because it doesn't help if you score two goals as a striker and I as a goalkeeper let three or four goals in. All your effort would have turned to naught, right? So the idea that we have here is that we are all equal, we come together as one, but as we come together as a team, as a church, we have different functions. That's the idea that we're getting here as far as this passage is concerned. And as the Apostle continues, still in Romans chapter 12 from verse 6, he reveals to us that as far as these different functions are concerned, they are simply, simply exercised through spiritual gifts. And this is what we see from verse 6. He continues to say, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith. If service for seven in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts, verse eight, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. You see, it is clear from the passage that we all have different spiritual gifts and even as verse 6 says, according to the grace that the Lord has given us. From serving to teaching, exhorting, contributing financially, um, leading, showing acts of mercy and even prophecy as far as the early church was concerned. So we all need each other. The idea you get from this is this. You see, 
You can be the one who's gifted in preaching and teaching. And you, are, you can excel in that as a preacher. But then you need the one who the Lord has gifted in finances to finance your ministry. Because you can only go so far without someone who would finance your ministry, even as the Apostle Paul had the likes of the Corinthians advancing his missionary activity from a financial standpoint. You can excel in leadership, even as this passage reveals to us that some excel in leading. But then, as a leader, you need those who are gifted in acts of service still in the passage, because others who will you delegate responsibilities to as a leader? You cannot just lead yourself. So you may be a leader, yes, but then you need those who are gifted in acts of service. You may be gifted in encouragement, right? Even as the passage says, some are truly gifted in exhorting, in encouraging. But then, as someone who's gifted in encouragement, your words will be what? Just mere words if you do not have those who are also gifted in what? Acts of mercy to accompany your words. It's like Lucas was saying just a few moments ago that they appreciated the ministry when people were bringing food to the house. So it would have just been one thing if you're just sending text messages, the Lord be with you, but tangibly, how will he do that? He will not knock on my door to bring me food. You gifted in exhortation, yes, but complimented by those gifted in acts of mercy. And as we see, as far as these spiritual gifts are concerned, they are given to us to enhance our fellowship. Because clearly, as you see, when you exercise them, your fellowship is enhanced because through them, you express love one to another. You see, the greatest commandment and the new commandment can be expressed in various ways, but it has to be tangible. And one of the main ways is through our spiritual gifts. When you come and preach and teach to me, when I come and give to you financially, when you give me words of encouragement, when I come and minister to you with acts of mercy, that's how you express your love within the body. And as a Christian, you need to understand then and consider then how you are expressing your love to the body. How are you loving others as you love yourself? How are you loving others as Christ has loved you? What is your function in the body? What is your spiritual gift? As a Christian, you need to understand that you are never and should never be alone. God, even as we saw in the beginning, has called us to fellowship. And even in how he gifts us, as far as these spiritual gifts are concerned, regardless of how you may consider one to be prominent over the other, first of all, it cannot be exercised in isolation. And second, in terms of you exercising it on your own out there. And secondly, it cannot be exercised to its fullest potential 
without incorporating the other gifts even as I've seen. And so the question then is this, how are you functioning within the body? Are you as one who is isolated or as one who truly is within the common fellowship of believers and functioning as someone who's gifted enhancing fellowship as you display your love one for another? This is very important to consider because of just that. Because one of the greatest ways we do enhance our fellowship or rather fulfill even the greatest and the new commandments is through exercising our spiritual gifts in the church. As we continue to consider this theme, we must consider that as well, even though spiritual gifts are meant to unite us and enhance and express our love one to another, there's a bit of an irony here because the same spiritual gifts can actually be a source of major division within the church. So yes, God gives them to us to contribute to our fellowship and enhance our fellowship and that we may use them to express our love one to another. <coughs> Excuse me. But the irony as well is that they may be a source of division as well. You see, this is just as it is in the beginning, right? Because that's where we find ourselves once again. God created us to be in fellowship with one another, but we broke it. And now within the church, it's the same thing. God gives us spiritual gifts to enhance our fellowship, but then oftentimes we use it to break our fellowship. The same spiritual gifts that should bring us together divide us at times. And this is the issue that Paul is addressing in the Corinthian church. And now if you can turn to the other 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He did not want them to be ignorant concerning what spiritual gifts are meant for. So he chose to address this issue because there were divisions because of these very gifts. Instead of unity, instead of fellowship, love being expressed one to another. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you could just turn there, From verse 1, I read, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. I do not want you to be ignorant. I'll jump to verse 4. You can read the rest of the chapter, of the chapter, the whole of the chapter on your own. Verse 4, it says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. You see, that's where I want to emphasize this aspect of exercising love one to another. Because Paul is very clear that the purpose as to why you're given these spiritual gifts is for what? The common good. It's for the common benefit of the other. Not for you, but for the body. The idea we get here is that your gift is not your own. Your gift is not your own. It is given to you by God for the common good. Yes, there are varieties of gifts, same spirit. Varieties of service, same spirit. Varieties of activities, same God. As he empowers everyone according to his desire, 
and the purpose is for the common good, for the benefit of all the church. And it continues in the conversation, and I'll pick it up from verse 12, because rather than using the spiritual gifts for the common good, in the Corinthian church, they would use it for personal benefit and mainly for pride and exaltation. Because I am gifted in a certain way, then I am more prominent than you. If I am preaching, for example, well, I am more prominent than you because this is the more so-called visible gift. And so Paul is addressing these issues and saying you have it wrong. You are all equal. You are all in one body. It's just that you have different functions, but then it doesn't mean that one takes priority over the other. And this is what he's addressing. From verse 12, it says, For just as the body is one, again stressing this idea, and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, verse 13, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If you are keen to consider what Paul is saying in these verses here, it's as if we are going back to Galatians chapter 3, what we considered as the governing verse for our preaching last week that we are all equal in Christ. We are all one in Christ. It's the same idea here. All members of one body, one spirit, having baptized us into the body of Christ. And because we are one, united and not fra fragmented, then we continue to read in verse 15 that truly, it is foolish to seek to stand on your own. From verse 15, we continue to read, If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, verse 16, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body one eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But, as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet again, one body. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again to the head, to, not, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. You see, this particular passage takes us back to Genesis chapter 2, if we can summarize it that way. Look at verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. What do we see in Genesis? It is not good for man to be alone. You cannot look at another person, another believer within the church, and say, you know what, I do not need you. Because I am this or that part in the body, I can stand on my own without needing 
the rest of the body. Something that we should consider, even as we go back to Genesis, is this. You see, when God brought Eve to Adam, he brought someone created in the image of God, yes? So they had that common aspect which is unique to them as mankind. But then something to consider is that he brought someone with a different function. It is not good for man to be alone because he needs fellowship, yes, but not good for man to be alone also within the context of needing someone with a different function. He didn't just bring another man. Because that was also crucial for mankind to fulfill the mandate of God as far as having dominion over the earth. For example, how was mankind to, to multiply and fill the earth if God brought someone who was exactly the same as Adam to him? It would have been impossible. And it is the same with the church. God brings us together and we have this unique common element to us which not only of course are we in the image of God but we are saved, baptized into one body in Christ by the Spirit but with that we come together as those who are spiritually gifted in a different way because we are to complement each other through the spiritual gifts to fulfill then the mandate of the church. So then you cannot say as a foot I do not need the hand. I do not need anybody else. You cannot say that as this part of the body, I can stand on my own. You see, the eye cannot just stand on its own, for example, and say, well, because I am the eye, the one who has the vision and can see everything, I am more prominent and I will be on my own. I do not need anyone else. Because think about it, the eye does see, and truly it will see. But then the question is this, what if the eye stands on its own and it sees someone talking to it? It can see, yes, there's someone talking to me, but how will it hear without the ear? Much as it can see someone addressing it, right? If the eye sees and it does see something that it needs and it needs to take a hold of that, how will it do it without the hand? The eye indeed can see and as it sees, it sees where it needs to be. But then how does it get there without the feet? So yes, on your own independently, you do have some ability, and it can be prominent as far as the ability is concerned, but you need the other functions as well. You see, this is the idea that Paul is bringing to us. That if you are to stand on your own, it is foolish. It is exactly what the eye is doing, right? And if it didn't stand on its own and consider other parts of the body, then it would be in consultation with the brain as well to tell him, you know what, I, you're foolish. You need to listen to me as the brain. Why do we do foolish things? It's because we stand on our own. If it had consulted the brain, if it was part of the body, it wouldn't have done such a foolish thing. Right? To stand on your own is to simply walk in foolishness. It's to walk in foolishness. And that's if the feet come, come with you because you need the feet to walk as well. Right? It is plain foolish. 
It doesn't work like that. You see, just like Adam, who saw Eve, and saw someone who added value to him, someone who did not have the limitations that he had, so are we to see the other people around us, the other believers around us within the church, and see someone who compliments us in such a way that they even enhance our own function in the church. They enhance our own spiritual giftedness in the church. The opposite then is also true. If you do not consider your function within the church, your spiritual gift, then you limit the other functions as well. You limit the others who are already exercising their gifts in the church. You limit the fellowship and the expression of love. As we continue to read in 1 Corinthians 12, we are then to consider as well this aspect of humility. And that is what is coming to us as well. The idea that despite my own giftedness and how prominent I may be, truly I need that which I do not, the other functions, the other spiritual gifts which I may not even regard. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 22, it says, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. They are indispensable. In verse 23, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our, unpresent, and, and our, our unpresentable parts are treated with great modesty. Verse 24, which our more presentable parts do not require, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. The idea that comes to us here is that God has designed everything. And he has designed it in such a way that we are different. And in such a way from a human eye, because we are different, we may be tempted to think that, well, that functional, that particular individual must be more important to the church because of how they are gifted, as opposed to a different individual. But then God here is cautioning and saying, you know what, I have created you differently and gifted you differently. But that doesn't mean you should despise that which you think is less honorable. Why? Because I've placed greater honor upon that particular individual and their gifting, such that they are indispensable. And the idea is that you in your prominent gifting, or in what you think is a prominent gifting, you need that which you think is in dispensable. That is God's grand design. And the idea is that then to despise that is to despise his design. It's as if you're saying, you know what God, if I were you, I would have done this better in this or that way. Your architecture is not so good. But God is saying, that's exactly how I design things. Because that's exactly how I design things in order to enhance your fellowship. And this is what we continue to read. Just still back to verse 24. The second part of it says, But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Verse 26, If one member suffers, all suffer together. 
If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. God is saying my grand design is deliberate. In as far as how I've composed the body, the differences that are there, the different functions and how they complement each other, it is deliberate because I do that to enhance the fellowship. Because you see, when you realize you need each other, you will value each other more. The moment I realize I need you, I will value you more. And that's the idea that we get here as far as what God is saying. First of all, according to the passage from verse 25, in as far as how God has composed the body, it is so that, first of all, there will be no divisions amongst us. So we come together as a team to complement each other. As a striker, I need the midfielders to supply the ball to me. As a striker, I need the defenders at the back to keep goals outside. Otherwise, we won't win even if I score. I need the goalkeeper as well to coordinate the defense. And so if we come together in our different functions and giftings, then we complement each other and come together as a unit and are able to function as one. And as such, Paul is writing here and saying, so that there may be no divisions among you. But the members may have the same care for one another. So no divisions, greater and equal care amongst each other, and also, as he continues in verse 26, when one suffers, we all suffer. And when one is honored, we all rejoice with that one who is being honored. That is the summary of what it means to be in fellowship as believers. That there's no division, meaning there's unity, right? That we treat each other equally and care for each other equally, right? That when one suffers, we are so concerned about the other individuals such that when they suffer, we all suffer together. And because we are all walking in humility, such as no one is exalting themselves above the other, we do not mind if one is honored, right? Because when they are honored, we rejoice. That is what the passage is saying. That, in summary, is fellowship. No divisions. Care for one another equally. When one suffers, we suffer. And when one is honored, we rejoice. Why? Because we are one. We are a unit. And we come together to complement each other, regardless of one's function in the body, regardless of one's um, spiritual gifting. That is fellowship. That is love as well. The lesson to the Corinthians was very important because, as I had said earlier, the gifts which should have caused them to enhance their fellowship, such as to be united, to care for each other equally, to suffer together and even rejoice together when one is honored, was a source of division. If you go back to chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, we will consider a few verses there which paint the picture for us. From verses 10 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says, I appeal to you. He's appealing to the church. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
that all of you agree, right? That all of you agree. And that there be no divisions. This is what we've read in chapter 12. That there be no divisions. You need to come together. That there be no divisions among you, but that you be united. He's stressing the same point. I want you to agree. I want there to be no divisions. I want you to be united. And he continues to say, in the same mind and the same judgment. These are simply five different ways of saying the same thing. I want you to agree. I want there to be no divisions. I want you to be united. Be of the same mind. Be of the same judgment. And why is he saying this? We continue to read in verse 11. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. Verse 12. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. Or I follow Cephas, which is Peter. Or I follow Christ. It's like us gathered here today and then some say, well, I follow Lucas. And then others say, I follow Kuas. And then the others say, I follow Christ. Those are the divisions which were in this particular church. And if you consider the men who are even highlighted here in this particular passage in verse 12, these were some of the most gifted men ever known to us as far as the early church is concerned. When you think of Paul, when you think of Apollos, when you think of Peter as well, these are men who are crucial and foundational to the early church. Very gifted individuals. And you find that because of their prominence, they were so prominent to the extent that some were saying, I will follow this individual, I'll follow this one, I'll follow this one. Such that as Paul writes, and you cannot miss it, he's saying, others were saying in the end, I will follow Christ. So the idea is that such men had grown to such prominence that while others were busy following Christ, others were busy following them as if on equal footing. That men had become so prominent in the church that following them was synonymous to following the Lord. That's how bad the situation was in the Corinthian church. And because of that, then, their fellowship had been broken. And it was no other reason other than these men were very gifted individuals. They were very prominent. And so Paul is coming to them in chapter 12 and he's writing and he's saying, but you need to understand. Do not be confused. I do not want you to be ignorant. Everyone among you is baptized into one body which is Christ, and Christ is the head over all. You cannot have a situation whereby someone is saying, I am following Christ, and others are saying, I'm following this or that other individual. It doesn't matter how prominent they are in their gifting. Everybody else, other than Christ, everybody else is part of the body, baptized into the same body. And so Christ is the head, and we are the body. Everyone else falls under. And so then there should be no cause for division if this indeed is the case because the rest of you just come together to complement each other. You come together united as one to express love one to another and fulfill the purpose of the church. 
No one is prominent over the other. That which you despise, even prospering themselves, is that which God gives great honor. And that which you despise is indispensable. Just as that which you consider even more important is indispensable. The idea that comes to us here then is this, that we are to guard ourselves as the church, right? Because God gives us gifted individuals to enhance our fellowship, but the same giftedness can be the very cause of division. Giftedness to unite us, to enhance our fellowship, express love, but then the same giftedness can be the cause of division. And that's why this is very important for us to consider. Because then the question to us as a church is this. How do we express our giftedness one to another? First of all, do you even express it? If you don't, then how can you truly say that, yes, but I love, I love my fellow believers. You do, but then love is a tangible expression. It's an action, right? It's not something you say, it's something you do. Within the church, you express it in one of the major ways is through your spiritual gifts. So then what are you doing? Are you just sitting in the background and saying, you know what, I love you, but how? And in the expression of your giftedness, what is the result, right? Is it bringing an enhancing unity? Is it contributing to the fellowship? Is it complementing the other spiritual gifts as well? Can that be the testimony of our church? That yes, we are united. Yes, we care for one another equally. Yes, when one suffers, we all suffer. And yes, when one is honored, we all honor. There's no envy or jealousy or disunity. No one is fighting for honor one to another, saying, no, but I, Paul, want to be honored, or Peter, or Apollos. No, 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 the honor should come to me. No, the honor belongs to the Lord. And whoever amongst us is honored, we rejoice in that because we know, ultimately, we are all equal, and their honor contributes to enhancing our fellowship. It is not individual as such. I want to leave us with this example here as a challenge to us. Of Stephen in the booth of Acts. And for that, if you could please turn to Acts chapter 6. For us, Stephen is someone who truly exemplified what it means to be gifted and to use his gift for the benefit of the church and in humility. If you could turn to Acts chapter 6. In Acts chapter 6 and verse 1, we find an issue there. And the apostles were called to attention as far as this issue is concerned. Because there was the issue of distribution of food towards the needy, and there seemed to have been disunity because a certain group was favored over the other. In verse 1 it says, now in these days, <clears throat> in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. 
And to address this issue, the apostles were called upon. And we continue to read in verse 2 that the twelve and the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, verse 3, brothers, speak out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But, verse 4, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. First of all, even before we get to Stephen, you see this as the perfect example of what it means for the church to function as a body. Right? Because you see, prominent as the apostles were, they couldn't do it on their own. They were mighty in preaching and teaching and prayer. But this issue, as far as food distribution is concerned, something that would probably have never crossed their mind, hindered their ministry. It distracted from their ministry. And then they said, well, we need gifted people to handle this issue because the apostles cannot do it alone. And so this is a clear example that truly the church should function as a body. And regardless of how we may think some are prominent, it is impossible that they could function on their own. They needed others to come and complement them and serve this particular issue. So they called seven people. And from verse 5 <clears throat> all the way to 10, we see that as far as the seven were concerned, Stephen was one of them. And these verses describe Stephen in this way. Verse 6, verse 5, Stephen was chosen and describes him as a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Verse 8 describes him as a man full of grace and power and was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Verse 9, we read that he was even uh, debating with those in the synagogue uh, as far as the people, the leaders there arose to dispute, to, dispute uh, to debate with him. And it says in verse 10, they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. So as far as Stephen being described between verses 5 and 10, it speaks of him as a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, full of grace and power, doing great wonders and signs, and also that in a debate with the Jewish leaders, they could not withstand the spirit with which, with which he was speaking. We bring out Stephen because, and, and the characteristics behind the type of individual that he was, because you cannot ignore the fact that as far as giftedness is concerned, he was just as gifted as the apostles. When it came to preaching, it's clear. No one could withstand or debate him as far as the wisdom or the spirit with which he was speaking. When it comes to performing signs and wonders, again, he was full of grace and power and doing great wonders and signs amongst the people. These were features, characteristics of the apostles. It is the apostles who are prominent in preaching and teaching. It is the apostles who are working great signs and wonders. Stephen, the same. He was just as gifted. But you see, as far as his reputation is concerned, this is not someone who chose to enhance himself and to even claim 
that he was as equal as the apostles as far as his own function, his own authority, his own office is concerned. You read in verse 3 that they required seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom. So ideally they were looking at people with a good reputation, right? People that they could trust. People that were, when there was division, that when there was disunity in the church, these were people that they could easily call upon. And they found Stephen to be such an individual. And I found this interesting because he was just as gifted as the apostles. And as far as this issue, he could have even said, you know what, you people, you're saying you want to preach and pray? Whatever you can do, I can do. You've seen me work mighty signs and wonders. You've seen me preach as well. You've seen me pray. I am also busy. I will not address this issue. I will also not serve tables. I will do other things as far as my prominence is concerned as a gifted individual. We do not see that, right? While people, others are following Peter, others are, post, are following Paul and the likes, there was no one was claiming to be following Stephen. When they called upon him to address this particular issue, he gladly did. And when they called upon him, they knew that this is one individual who will help us restore unity. Why? Because of his reputation. Because of his reputation. We need people who can address this particular issue. There's disunity, who can restore unity? We need men such as Stephen. And despite his gift, giftedness, despite his sort of, uh, uh, um, despite the possibility or his uh, potential to be as prominent as the apostles, he, he chose to serve in the duties that are delegated to him without puffing up himself, without enhancing his own reputation. And something interesting you see about his service is that while other men were seeking to be exalted and their service and their giftedness bringing them to the front lines of exaltation, with Stephen it was different, right? Because it didn't attract exaltation, it rather attracted persecution. Because we continue to read further as far as his story is concerned that he was actually executed. And the reason why he was executed, if you would even consider it as far as chapter 7 is concerned, is that this is someone who stood out as very gifted and very eloquent in his preaching, even as he was in chapter 7, such that whatever he was saying was too much for the Jewish leaders to bear. Even as we read in chapter 6, whatever he was saying, they could not withstand him. The spirit and the wisdom within which he spoke. So you can imagine his own giftedness brought him to the forefront of persecution not necessarily exaltation. And when that time came to be persecuted because of who he is and because of how he was serving in the church, he was very glad to bear the cross and to say, you know what, but I'm doing this for the Lord. I am doing this for the church. This is not for me. This is not for my gain. This is not so that I can be prominent. My gift is not my own. My gift is for the church. So I sacrifice for the church even if it means that I have to lay down my very life for it. And that is exactly what he did. Not seeking his own honor, but seeking to serve the church in as far as how God had gifted him, even though it brought him to the front lines of persecution to the point of death. But we see as well that even as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that 
God does bestow honor on those whom he would use and those whom would serve with humility. Because we see that in death, we find that Stephen seemed to have even offered greater service to the church than in life. Because we continue to read in Acts chapter 8 from verse 1 that his death was actually a catalyst for the church to spread. It was a catalyst for the church to spread beyond Jerusalem to other parts of the world. And that was what the death of Stephen caused, initiating global missions. And so it's interesting to see that when such an individual put himself before the church, at the feet of the church, and said, God, use me as you would, as you've gifted me, and I'll serve in humility, I'll sacrifice for the sake of the church, even if it means that I will die in the process. It is interesting to see how in death he offers greater service than even in life, such that his own death will be the catalyst for global missions, the initiation for global missions, causing an even greater impact than he did when he was alive. The challenge to us then is this. You are alive. You are not dead. And the question is this. I ask you today, as you are part of the church, in life, what is your spiritual giftedness? And what is the impact you are causing even in the body today? That is the question I want to leave with you. Can you be found amongst the faithful who are saying, yes, God has gifted me in this way, and in humility, just as Stephen, I am serving in the areas that have been delegated to me. I am using this giftedness in this and that way to enhance the body and even complement other gifted people. Because as we see in Romans and even in Corinthians, that is the design of the church. As it was in the beginning, it is not good for you to be alone. It is impossible for you to be alone because you are created as one and called into, you're baptized into the body as one who is a member of the body, fulfilling a function, slotting into a part of the body such that the body can function as a whole without being limited because you are limiting the body. That is what it means to function as a body, to express your love to others and to enhance the fellowship and the unity of the body. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your great salvation. We know that outside of you, your word is clear, we can do nothing. But in you, as far as you've gifted us in various ways and baptized us into the body, we know that we have the capacity to truly achieve great things. Because as we are gifted by the Spirit, it is for the purposes of your church. It is for the purposes of your agenda as far as advancing the gospel mission. And we know that as we embrace the call, then truly great works you will empower us to do. Such as Christ would even say, greater works than these will you do. It is because of that fellowship in the body whereby we come together as a unit, complementing each other 
in various ways to achieve the mandate of the church. And so we pray, O oh Lord, that you stir in us a conviction whereby we will see ourselves as those who are part of the body, as those whom the body needs, and as those who need the body as well. And that as we strive to function as a body, strive to achieve this mandate that you've set before us, that you will continue to empower us by your spirit and convict us by your spirit, O Lord, as we find to do as we are alive here, even now, that we will not waste time, that we will not cripple the body because of just taking a back seat, but that we will enhance the fellowship, enhance the love amongst us through how we complement each other, bringing unity, bringing care one to another, suffering together and also rejoicing together because this is truly the fellowship within which you've called us to and within which you've called us to glorify you. We pray all this believing and trusting in you. Amen.